Hello and welcome to Bringing Education Home. I'm Herb. And I'm Christina. Together we're bringing you ideas about education, entrepreneurship, and relationships that are both inside and outside the box. If you like the show, be sure to follow Christina on Facebook. And if you like us and our show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Today we have the joy of bringing Lynn back into the podcast with us. Um, Last time she was with us, we talked about her credentials and all the experience that she has as a reading coach and a dyslexia coach, all those different things that help her become an expert in all the different ways of language and reading. And today we asked her to come back and share with us a little bit more about how maybe speech plays into this whole reading thing. Lynn, we're so glad you're back. Thank you. Gosh, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So yeah, that whole speech and language thing, when kiddos are really small and they're first starting to develop their sounds, is there a connection between those first sounds that they might make and being able to read or be a proficient reader later in life? Boy, what a great question. There actually are some connections there. And uh, just so I'd make sure that I'm clear with you, I really deal primarily with the issues of early reading achievement. Mm -hmm. But if I don't look back at what you just said, which was early developmental windows for speech development and articulation of sounds, you're really missing half the boat because the connection is very, very strong. We can look at a child's developing speech or difficulties in developing speech and know pretty quickly if we need to be looking for more than that, which may turn into something that looks like dyslexia. And so as we talk about the early speech of children, we have to remember that all children develop at different um, levels, at different rates. But let's remember also that we're gonna put that window at about six months. What I mean by that is some children may be a little slower in developing some of those sounds you, you talked about, but if they're not developed within about that six month window, We need to start paying attention because a lot of folks think kids will outgrow that. Mm -hmm. And then they think, no problem. If they're having problems reading early on, they'll outgrow that too. It turns out it's a direct line between early speech to proficient reading. So the sounds that children often make earliest Mm -hmm. um, are sounds that are, are babbled and can be reproduced if you ask them to reproduce it. So most of those sounds are typical ones like the P or the P sound, mm, the M sound, uh, B, the B sound, and so forth. Most of the sounds that we talk about develop by about the age of three. So they're clean and articulate. That doesn't mean that a baby or a youngster at 18 months has fully intelligible speech. Right. Let me just explain that. Intelligible speech means that you could figure out what a little 18-month-old is saying about 25% of the time you could figure out their language. A lot of their language may not even use sounds in our language. They're just playing with the language. Mm -hmm. But about 25% of speech can be understood by age 18 months. And it goes on from there. Two years is 50% of intelligible speech. Three years is 80%. And in theory, right around age four, we should be able to understand 100% of a child's speech. It doesn't mean they're absolutely accurate, but it does mean they're close enough that we understand what they're trying to say. Please know that that part is very important because the more a child struggles to be heard and understood, the more his his or her self-esteem is lowered. 
So if that's happening at three years, imagine fast forwarding four years to now try and read when you're still struggling to actually speak the sounds you're supposed to read and spell with. So the question that pops into my head when you're giving us those numbers, is Mm. this the parent understanding them? Because we know we're pretty good at understanding our kiddos, or is that anybody or almost anybody understanding? Because that's a big distinction from my classroom experience. You're asking, what a good question. It is anyone that should be able to understand them. And so we understand that moms and dads sometimes have a little secret knowing what their kiddos are trying to say. But in general, I wanted to make sure that I said that because not all young children have clean, articulate phonemes. That means the sounds of the language coming out cleanly, but they can get close enough that most of us understand where their needs are. So about by age four to four and a half, most children should be speaking cleanly enough and articulately enough so that we can definitely understand. Got it. Yeah, I, I kind of find it kind of interesting because I'm a parent and a grandparent. So yeah. sometimes with new parents and the first time they have an 18 month old, the parents have no idea what the kids will be talking about or, or two years. And I'll walk <laughs> up and I'll be like, and I'll just like start talking to the kid. And the parents are like, what? How do so, you understand them? <laughs> so, yeah, there is a there is a learning curve, a learning curve there, yeah. too. So there's a lot of young parents that wouldn't even necessarily understand that their kids are talking because they're just making babbling sounds. Exactly. And that's so critical. Just so you know, those babbling sounds are rehearsals of how many different ways can I rehearse saying this sound compared to another sound. Mm -hmm. And so an example of that is if I gave you these two sounds, the P sound and the B sound. I often ask parents to play with those sounds in conjunction by practicing them with their children just in play and fun. Yeah. Because we want children to start to explore what's happening in their mouth, not just what they hear, but what they feel in their mouth as they're producing those sounds. That's called oral motor feedback. And we want that because if we just rely on our ears, many, many children will not be able to produce the sounds we want. They have to use their mouth. And ultimately, they use all their senses to get there. They use their vision to be able to see letters and know those sounds. So as you can see, a child who struggles to read, if we just back backward chain, we're going to find a child that has some other issues as well. And so um, as we talk about the speech development, I want to make it very clear that many, many times when we see children with delayed speech Mm -hmm. or struggling to rhyme or struggling to compare sounds within words, um, those children will often be looked at very closely for signs of dyslexia later. Um, And that's why we look at those children in kindergarten early on, because we know they may have had speech issues before. About seven and a half percent of all people in America will have speech disfluency or some speech issues. Seven and a half percent. Yeah, that can be pretty impactful. (laughs) It can, even if some people do grow out of it. And we admit that many, many children may not. So an example of that is that when we talk about the letter R, Yes. It has many, many ways of being produced depending on what letter is around it. Uh-huh. Also, if you try and say the R sound just to yourself, which goes like this, or, or, or it's just a little kind of burp of a sound, you can't see what's happening in your mouth. So children don't get that, what we just talked about, that articulatory piece. They can't see it. They have to feel it. Yeah. And so because of that, 
R is a very late developing sound. And I wanted to make sure to talk about that because I've had many, many parents tell me they wanted to send their four-year-old to speech class for developing the R sound. And they didn't want their child to be um, upset or feel low self-esteem because of it. But as it turns out, a good percentage of children will not develop the R sound until right around age six. And public schools often won't even look at remediating that sound until age eight. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was just going to ask you was because as my teaching experience, the same way I would have a kiddo that would have a hard time understanding in my classroom. And Mm -hmm. I would speech pathologist to come in and listen to that kid and look hey what about this and it wasn't until farther down my career when a speech pathologist actually stopped me and said you don't know what age those sounds develop it's like no that wasn't taught in college that wasn't taught to us as right so until they explained that and you know and so I knew what sounds I should be listening for at kindergarten or first or second grade it was a impact in when we should um actually sorry, um, what's that? Refer, there we go. Refer to getting help. So do you happen to have that chart or that idea? What sounds about what age between that two and five-year-old? I do. Um, Mostly what I wanted to. Yeah, because we're really, you know, interested in in having our parents' education at home. That's what we're all about. Right. Even as a teacher missing this, how how can an adult adult teaching their own parents, how can they know when to teach this, when to see it, when should they get help? Is there a good resource for them? There's there's many resources, and most of them are um, the Academy of Speech and Hearing. That's called ASHA. And ASHA will have it. I'm going to give you some facts that come directly off of the preschool language scale, the fourth edition, which takes into consideration children of all backgrounds, of all cultures, and of all socioeconomic situations. So they're going to look a little more conservative in the way they're uh, um, suggesting that children should know certain speech sounds. What I mean by that is they may actually say we can hold off until age six to look for that instead of what some uh, doctors might say is a little late. Okay. So I wanted to make sure that you know that most consonant speech sounds are developed by age five. Okay. Most consonant speech sounds. Um, I that tell R you about, talked yeah, about the R is very difficult. Um, as a matter of fact, it makes up most of the speech errors in public education. If wow. there's articulation errors, it's because of the R. It's very difficult to remediate. Um, S is right behind it. S is a little tough as well. So I just wanted to make sure you heard that. I personally teach a lot of this and have found that SH is easier to produce, which is shh, that stream sound, rather than s, which takes a much more fine detail to attention with your mouth. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to say that S's, R's, TH, where mm-hmm. your tongue is out of your mouth. And there's two sounds we make with that. We make the quiet TH sound, like in the word think. But we can also teach the noisy TH or voiced TH sound, which is like in the word that. Those are very difficult for children and typically don't develop until age seven. Age seven for many children. Yes. Your tongue out of your mouth sound. Is that the only tongue out of the mouth sound? It absolutely is. It's called a tongue cooler in my world. And yep. 
There is no other sound that pushes your tongue out of your mouth. But I will tell you this, it's typically exchanged when children struggle with it for the F sound. Yeah. And that's why you'll hear children say, look, I have a Christmas wreath on my door instead of wreath. We don't really look at that as an error until about age seven. Got it. It takes, it's really tough to force your tongue out of your mouth like that, particularly at the end of a word. And so it just takes some real motor practice with your mouth moving it and your tongue moving. And so please know that the typical sounds should be in place by age five. Now there's a ton of vowel sounds and we're not discussing vowel sounds because there are 18 of them. However, vowels are easier to produce but much more narrowly contrasted. What I mean by that is eh, eh, almost the same sound, but not, but you don't do much except just drop your jaw, eh, eh, where sounds like require a lot more motor planning in your mouth. You have to raise your tongue up in the back on that. That's tough for many children who don't have the tongue strength to do it yet. So with that in mind, most children will have all of most of their consonant phonemes by age five. The exceptions on that are going to be the TH sounds. Sometimes the R sound is sure tough for kids, very common. And the one that I didn't mention, but it's a funny phoneme. I don't rarely teach it before third grade. And that sound you may not know as a phoneme. It's and it's found in the word measure television. So children probably won't be able to produce that sound until age seven. So do you want your child to say TV or television? I'd suggest TV. At least for a while. At least for a while. And so it's important to know that we don't want to rush the R, the TH, or what we call the ZH, which says Mm -hmm. everything else will fall in place before that. And if a child has most of those in place by age five, it is natural to then move to learning to read. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, many, many children do not have those phonemes in place before we push reading. And if we, speech leads to print, to reading and spelling, we better make sure our speech is secure before we move on, or we're going to feel very, very sad about our reading ability. And just so you know this, I was just recently looking up the percentage of people in America who are reading under the sixth grade level, under the sixth grade level. And it is going to be directly related to speech and the amount of speech in the home, just so you know. Um, And we're seeing 54% of Americans are reading below the sixth grade level as of last year. Is that children or all Americans? All All Americans, all Americans. And only about 35% of children across America in fourth grade are reading at level right now. Exactly. I heard those, some of those statistics two weeks ago when they brought up national averages. And I was totally shocked. I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. And then we're expecting people to be productive in society and we're expecting them to, you know, be motivated to go and learn something new. And if you don't have those basic reading skills, all of that's very, very difficult. And you know, about, about, I'm not sure. It seems like five or six years ago, um, she was a second grade teacher and suddenly had kids coming into her classroom that didn't know these phonemes, phonemes that yeah. couldn't make the sounds, yeah. didn't. Right. So 
she went to talk to people. It it was no longer required in kindergarten or first grade to even attempt to teach these. So right. she was getting kids in second grade who were supposed to be able to read and write who couldn't even make yeah. proper sounds. Yeah. So that's in a school system. So in, in a yeah. home education system right now, there, there's probably a lot of parents who might have actually a little later, early, still later, early education, third, fourth, fifth grade, who, right. who kids now are missing that. Right. What is the process for, for re-catching those, for, for putting those phonemes in place if they missed them? I think you called it remediation. What's right. the remediation and, and mm-hmm. how does age affect the remediation? Is it, is it better yep. sooner, later? Can it, can it be caught, brought back? Yeah. You're asking such good questions here. And yes, I want to make it very clear that while I am surrounded by speech pathologists, I indeed am not one, but um, I am um, considered uh, quite well versed in the area of dyslexia and early reading achievement. And I wanted to make sure that you knew this, that while it is not our job as teachers to or even as parents to to remediate the R sound, it's a very difficult sound to remediate and requires help from outside that. Um, But not until maybe age seven is what we say on that. So here's what we do. We're able now to catch children between kindergarten and second grade. It is the prime sweet spot to catch children in terms of them learning to read efficiently and fluently. And the way we learn to read that way is based on how we articulate the sounds. So if we catch a child in kindergarten that is not articulating very common sounds like the P or B sound, and it's not because of any problem that we see, a physical problem that we can see, it's more likely because of neuropathways not firing correctly to make your mouth move correctly for this, that oral motor piece. So typically, this is why we look at dyslexia screenings for children at age five because by the time children are five, they should have most of the consonant phonemes down. My suggestion when a child is five and they still don't have many consonant phonemes down is I immediately refer them to speech pathology to take a look at it. And then the best way to do this is as a mom or as a teacher working with that speech pathologist to make sure that you're not demanding that child read words with those phonemes in them until they can indeed articulate them as well. If you ask a child to read words that they can't articulate, they are simply memorizing the word in a package. They memorize the word McDonald's and they see the golden arches in their mind's eye. It does not mean that they're a reader. Mm -hmm. It means they've memorized the picture. And that's very old school, guys. That's from the 50s. And if I could just say, this part's probably going to blow you away. So I always like to share it with folks that are, are interested in these topics. So we have, we don't even know how long the human race has been talking, but it's, it's very long, okay? Millions of years. We know that to be true. Do you know how long we have actually been reading and writing? Not as long. Um, cuneiform is, I think they figured out it's about 5,000 years old. You are right. Yeah, but again, it, we can also go back and, and look at ancient satellite pictures of the world and determine that like ancient civilizations have been wiped off this planet. So Correct. Our, current, our current 
group. Our current group of people has been about 5,000 years. That's right. But I'd really like to narrow that down for you because that was only the people of the upper echelon. Those were the people who wrote to make speeches, not to read for leisure. Well, reading and for so, leisure would have come after the Bible because there, there weren't books before the Bible. The Bible was the so first mass produ two. produced Bible in the world. And you have to remember that with that, uh, the average person could not pick up the Bible and read it. It was interpreted for them. Yep. And so it wasn't, I know you, this is going to blow you away, but it wasn't until 1450, 500 years, almost 600 years ago, right. that the printing press came into play. And all of a sudden, people were being given the opportunity to read for leisure or to read for information. Yeah. And so the common man had access just about 550 years ago to reading the common man. As a matter of fact, in 1940, only 70% of people said they were even trying to read in 1940. Whoa. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so when you look at that, it isn't surprising to see that our literacy rate in America today uh -huh. able to pick up a newspaper and read it for content. Um, our literacy rate is somewhere between 75 and 79% in America today. Yes. So a lot of people are still compared to other nations like Norway that have almost 99% literacy rate. Um, we have to be able to look at our language and say, what is it in our language that is causing these neural pathways to not connect? Yeah. If you believe this, if you believe our brains, human brains have only been reading for fluency and for information for 550 years, average man, right. for 550 years, it makes sense that lots of brains have not yet adapted to it. Yeah. And it is a learned skill. It is by no means an innate skill. No. Yeah. Reading is not just happening. Yeah. Speaking yeah. is very innate. Yes. But reading, on the other hand, where you have to pull a word apart to give us all the sounds in the word, then apply the letters to the sounds and read it quickly. When there's five different ways to read a certain letter, right? You have to try. So it's understandable that a lot of teachers just bypass that and ask kids to memorize words. Right. Exactly. But the reality is if we remember that we haven't been reading for long, We've been speaking for a very long time. Let's make sure our speech is in place, at least as well as we can, before we force kids into a situation where it's like double dosing them with not only can you say the can't say the phoneme, now you can't read it either because you can't say it. Exactly. Yep. Well, I would like to actually say that I love the way you speech and speech speak, <laughs> and um, I actually am focusing on your mouth so much. Right. Because your alliteration, your the way you, I can tell you work with kids teaching teacher. this, the way you are so clearly enunciating, and it's just absolutely beautiful. I wish I spoke as clearly. As <laughs> well, thank you. I've learned my lesson. Much. I'll tell you, if you saw me in the classroom, Christina knows this, if yes. I say, um, so kiddos, I'll say, okay, here we go. Watch my mouth. I never say, listen harder. Uh -uh. No, I say, watch my mouth, because the truth is even tiny little phonemes like F versus TH, mm -hmm. if you're not watching the mouth, you won't know which one I've said. And so I, if I could ask teachers to do just one thing differently, it would be to say, not boys and girls, listen up, boys and girls, watch my mouth. 
And that's why my mouth moves the way it does when I talk, because I want to make sure that everybody sees clearly that when I say the word Christmas wreath, they see my tongue out of my mouth. Exactly. Exactly. And it's become even more imperative the last couple of years, being either on screen with kids, making sure you're close enough that they can see, or whenever we had the masks and things that you know, some people just had to take them off so kids could understand and learn and see that. And so we have a, you know, a couple of years, kids mass mass learning for two years would be dreadful. It's hindering. Absolutely dreadful. And you would think that because COVID forced us all online, that kids would have the advantage of watching the mouth. But here's the problem. Many of our poor teachers, and we talked about this already, don't have that background to know to articulate, over-articulate, actually. They don't have the background to know to say to kiddos, here's my mouth, watch what it's doing. They say, listen up, boys and girls, listen, listen, listen. And unfortunately, yes. um, I was one of those lucky teachers. Yeah, the the, the mantra from parents is, watch your mouth, do what I say. (laughs) Exactly. Not, not watch my mouth. Watch your mouth. Do what you, I. You are so right, but that is why children who end up in tutorials and then sometimes online tutorials make great success, even though it's it's not always the way we want to work with kids. But they make great success because my face is right in there at all yeah, times. They, they cannot really get away. Quickly, really quickly with tutors, really quickly online, and then they get thrown back into the line right. in where they. They yes. might be able to keep going, but a lot of times I've, I've found that they that that still just hits them wrong and they start slipping back again. Mm-hmm. So um, right. what how do we catch that? Is there anything that we can do once we get them caught up to keep them motivated going forward from? Right. Um, I will tell you that one of the biggest things that works once we know that a child has most of their speech sounds. And by the way, as an effective teacher or parent, if you know a child cannot articulate TH, it doesn't mean they don't have they they shouldn't look at the word this. It should simply be that if they pronounce this as wis, we need to say good job. I know that beginning sound where your tongue is out of your mouth is really hard to say. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate you trying. And so when we add that in there, then kids are not so afraid. Do you know that many children that can't articulate phonemes will just never speak with those words at all because they'll find any way possible around an R or an S. Mm-hmm. And they'll use words like if you say, what street do you live on? Kids will say, I live on this road because they don't want to say the word street. Right. And so we don't want a brain to be adapted in that way. We really want kids to be able to give it a good shot. And we need to be prepared as educators and parents to know that, you know, seven some percent of children are going to struggle right now with articulation. And we want to honor, even when there's a word they can't articulate well, it's okay to show it to them. It just, you don't test them on it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Keep encouraging that growth mindset, that positive mindset, you know, Hey, you didn't get it this time, but we're going to keep working on it and you'll get it soon. Absolutely. So the ideas that I have for parents to work with children is you cannot babble enough with your child. And so, yes. So for littles for under age 18 months, you want to take sounds that are quite common, like the P, the B, the M, the N, T, And you want to take them and you want to just babble and play. So as you're dancing around the room, you're going to say those sounds like 
over and over again. So child gets constant rehearsal on those phonemes. That's it. (laughs) But darn close. And the only ones I wouldn't do are ones that are hard to remediate and we need a speech path to help us like the R sound, which is very difficult. But my point on this is, is that if you want a child's brain to get as much exposure as possible and all those neuropathways try and fire, we need to make sure that we're not just talking about words, but we're talking about sounds within words. Mm-hmm. It's very, very common for children who struggle in a blend word like stop to simply say sop mm-hmm. because it's very hard to blend two consonant phonemes next to each other. So we want to make sure to keep practicing like two sounds coming together, like st. St, st, before we embed it in stop. Right. And so we want kids to do that. So my role is to teach parents and um, uh, educators that it is very valuable to compare and contrast sounds and then figure out how to put sounds in an order and then rhyme. Rhyme is very important. And rhyme is important because children often don't know they're accidentally us saying a word wrong, they need to see that words can be similar, but different. Mm-hmm. No matter what their spelling is, shoe, new, to, do are all rhymes all spelled differently. Yes. But we want kids to know that if I flip up one sound, I get a brand new word, but it almost sounds like the last word. Mm-hmm. So we really encourage rhyming with parents and for children who have signs of dyslexia. And by the way, let me just say, that's just Another sign of dyslexia or symptom of it is that you struggle to rhyme. You may have delayed speech presented, but it is certainly not the cause of it. We don't really know the cause of it. We just know that certain neuropathways are not firing for some children. That might go back to the idea that we have only been reading for about 550 years as a general population. Exactly. And as a result, some brains just haven't wired to it yet. Exactly. And then if you think about, um, you know, family history as well, if your family hasn't been really strong in school or in reading or whatever, that may also have some of that development going. And Herb, you had a question or something like that. Oh, that's gone. Sorry. (laughs) It came and went. I get Um, excited. You are so right about that. It is the one way we know, uh, going back to Herb, to your question of how do you know what to do at age at five or how old is it when we start to um, intervene? That's why the school districts, many of them in America are intervening at age five. Intervening is too strong of a word. We're assessing at age five. I wish we had the tools to intervene better, but we're assessing. And the way we know to look for that thing called dyslexia, um, by the way, that's a spectrum of uh, characteristics. You can have very mild dyslexia where you just struggle here and there, but you're doing just fine or you can have very severe, what we call double deficit um, hypothesis dyslexia, which means that reading is just, you're clueless, no matter how bright you are. And so I wanted to make sure you knew that. There's a lot of parents who, whose whose children are just coming to school age right now. And I think, I think personally very wisely, they're choosing not to put them into the public education system. So unfortunately though, they're going to miss that possible catching of the early intervention what is something that a parent can do is there somewhere they can take their kid if they don't have if they're not working with the coach if they're not 
is there someone they can take their kid just to have them right. screened or checked out just in case? So just so you know, most speech pathology screenings are free across, across America. You call a local speech pathologist and the way you'll know to call them is you will notice these articulation difficulties early on, well before reading has ever happened. And you'll notice, gosh, they still can't produce the P sound and those easy sounds we talked about. They're still really struggling with that. They may shift sounds in words, which is very common. So instead of saying uh, spaghetti, you say paschetti. There's a great oh, yeah, example with our kids over that one. Yeah, it's a common shift. It's not a huge issue, but it's a common shift that happens. So we're going to look for delayed speech. We're going to look at history of uh, dyslexia or reading problems in the family. And then as soon as you have that, you call that speech path and you say, here's my concerns. Dyslexia runs in my family. By the way, that's somewhere between uh, 10 and 20% of the population has signs of dyslexia, mild, maybe mild, but have it. And you call and you say, I'd like a screening, please. You don't have to be in the public system. And you'll get a screening. Usually it's complimentary. You'll get the screening and they'll be able to say if that child is within their developmental windows or not. This is before reading starts. And that's pretty important because as we've mentioned, speech moving to reading, reading requires speech. Yes. And so it's an, it's a pretty easy, quick way. It doesn't put any label on your child or anything. It simply helps you better know why reading might be a challenge coming up. And I always say to parents, if you're looking for one indicator of a child maybe struggling um, to learn to read, if they're not acquiring their letter sounds pretty quickly, um, not their letter names. That's really someone, most people don't believe that, but it is true that letter names are not as critical as letter sounds. So when a child sees an, an S, I'd really love to hear S. I'm even happy to hear S really loud. But what I, but to be honest with you, the letter name S is less relevant at the early stages. So so with that, I just wanted to make sure I was clear. The only thing I would ask parents to really look at um, beyond the articulation piece is can they rhyme? And rhyming is, is very interesting because it's found all over in young early readers books, cat in a hat, all of that. So I always ask for a rhyme of a word that is not a real word. I'll just make it up. If I did the word fop, not a real word. But if to rhyme means I say op, I move the first sound out and put in a new sound. Chop, sop, top, lop, mop. I don't care if it's real or pretend. I need the child to understand that rhyme means I move out one sound and substitute it for another. That is one of the most primary indicators that a child will have a problem reading later is if they cannot rhyme. Rhyming naturally occurs about age four. It develops well between four and five. And if a child is not rhyming by five, it's worth a little look. A lot of times I notice that kids think of rhymes as jokes. So yeah. they'll be happy when they, oh, hey, listen to this. And they'll come up and they'll give you a bunch of words that are just kind of rhyming, thinking they told you something funny. So. <laughs> I kind of like that. That's okay. Um, but it really is a strong indicator. If a child is going to have a problem down the road, that is totally free of them not articulating the R or something like that. It could just appear as a lack of rhyming. 
So on the flip side, if a parent really wants to help their child be ready for reading, play with rhymes, not just the sound, but play with rhymes and have them practice that three, four-ish age yes. so they can get ready. And I think the most important thing that most parents haven't heard yet is when you ask a young child to rhyme, could you ask them to rhyme with just a tiny word like shoe? Yes. Don't worry about spelling. Shoe, two sounds. Yeah. And what does it rhyme with? Moo, two, do. Yep. And that's so much easier than rhyme the word um, splash. <laughs> okay. right. And so we're asking for just tiny little, it doesn't matter if you come up with a real or pretend word, but parents can certainly encourage rhyme. I would never encourage rhyme if a child can't articulate a particular phony. So I wouldn't include that in the rhyme. But I would certainly figure out what sounds that child can make cleanly and articulate and then say, I'm thinking of a word and you can just play a, a game. Right. Now you rhyme. Now you rhyme. You can do it around the table. It is probably one of the best things you can do to open neuropathways for young readers. That is so awesome. Wow, Lynn, you've given us so much to think about again and so much great information for our parents. And I really hope that parents will listen to this several different times and catch all those little bits and pieces. Um, and hopefully either you can send me that chart with the sound yeah. at certain ages, or I can go look it up and we'll attach it to the show notes just yeah. so parents have a quick place to go and, and then look for that. I'll be happy to do that. And what I'll also do, um, I don't know where you might put it, but I'm going to also send you the, um, the effects of dyslexia, the things that we might see as characteristics okay. so that a child, you can see the broad spectrum of where children, children learn their speech sounds and how it then comes in and overlays with learning letters. Wonderful. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about besides this topic while we were here? Because we love having our, our guests be able to share something that's happening with them or something that's exciting in your world that you just found out. What else would you like to share with us today? Anyway? Well, I would, I would like to share with you that um, I, I understand that when children uh, look like they're having problems reading, it can be very, very hard for um, parents to watch it. It's a hard thing to watch when you're young and you're five and you're six. You may think, well, I don't compare myself to others, but it sure is tough when everybody else is picking up the book and reading and you're just pretending to read. Mm -hmm. And so I have some real belief that the earlier the intervention, the better. And the um, I think we talked about this a little bit before. It is much easier to remediate reading issues between the ages of four and eight. Mm -hmm. than it is to try and get in there at nine and above. As a matter of fact, there's some really strong research on that that says the earlier the remediation, up to about age four, by the way, not before that, um, in terms of reading, the better. And it will take about four times longer to remediate if you're over fourth grade. Yeah. So that is why speech is so critical. We want to get speech in place as clean as possible before it um, not only impacts a child's social life and the way they're perceived, but it also impacts their ability to read and spell and understand the world through print. So I just wanted to make sure that we saw that clearly, that it can never be too early to get speech help, and it can never really be too early to get reading help once that speech help is in place. Exactly. Thank you so much for that great reminder. Because yeah, I mean, people are like, oh, well, I don't want them to feel bad because they have to get extra help. But then if they wait too long, then they need even more help and they feel even worse. So exactly. Is, exactly. So I, again, would start with a speech path screener, just a screener, and then go from there. 
Perfect. <laughs> and so then what kind of tools and exercises would those come from the speech path to right. help help? Or is there stuff online if you just like are going to figure it out on your own? Sure. Well, a lot, uh, a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times it is simply that a child doesn't understand there are sounds and words. It really is an issue of their brain not naturally unpacking a word like cat, at. They don't know it as three sounds. They just know it as cat, meow. And so sometimes it just takes some work in that way. So I would not discourage parents from trying to get them to say, let's talk about the sounds in this little word, like shoe, shh, ooh, shoe. And that's it. Not any big words. I don't even talk about reading the letters yet. I'm talking about understanding there are sounds in words so you can then apply the letters. So this practice. That actually reminds me of some of the, uh, the, the Sesame Street from the yes. 70s when I was a kid mm-hmm. and the two people said, ooh. Yes. And you could really clearly see yeah. that shh sound or right. the way they Sesame were doing that in those little videos. So, yeah. so well-researched Sesame Street's a work. And so I, I, I'll go back to what we talked about last time, which is not all teachers have had the benefit of, of hearing and understanding what we're talking about today. Nicest people in the world trying their hardest. I give them full credit for what they do. But boy, it is tough when you have 30 kids in the class, seven of your children are demonstrating some kind of issue related to either speech or reading, if not more than that. And you're trying to remediate all different areas while keeping other kids on track. And after six years of school, you're given about two weeks of possible this kind of information out of out of six, seven years. So it's not at all unusual. I had mentioned this last time when I trained teachers around America, more and more teachers say to me, gosh, Lynn, I never heard this at the university level. And um, I'll say it again, the universities have to get on board with this speech to print concept. I'm going to make sure that you guys also have a couple of books that you can recommend to your listeners as well, because there's a couple of really good books out there. One that I've talked to you about, Christina, called Speech to Print by Louisa Motes, um, which is the most fabulous work on how children take and develop their speech and apply it to learning to read fluently. Awesome. You are so wonderful. And we are so glad that you came to join us today. Thank you again for everything. My brain is tired. I don't know about you. (laughs) So like when, when I have people come to my house to like do construction work or if they're really good, I will just sit and just watch them. (laughs) How at the amount of knowledge and how quickly they do stuff and listening to you this kind of professionalism, the amount of knowledge, just the way it so easily flows out of you. It just, it, it, it feels so wonderful and beautiful that there are people that, that have that kind of knowledge and caring and are actually out here trying to do something with it. So thank you so thank you. very much for, for coming onto our podcast. Thank you so very much for really being out there and, and trying to make a difference in our children's lives. You are a really blessed person to, to have with us here. So thank you so very, very much. You are so very welcome. It's such a pleasure to be with you guys. And I wish you all the best in your ventures as you move ahead. I'm so excited to see where this is all going. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, one last time, how do they get a hold of you? What's the best email address? Rewiretherapy at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you, Lynn. And thank you, listeners. And we will get back with you at another time. All right. Bye. Thank you, guys.